Welcome to the Bethel Church Austin Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this sermon by a special guest speaker. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com. I didn't think I was going to make it up tonight. Tell you what, God's good, right? I love a church where you, you actually don't know if you're going to make it to the speaking or not. Yeah. Right? Because when God shows up, we just all go, all right, we'll see what happens with that. But I do feel like there's some things God wants to speak to us tonight. And, um, you know, somebody recently asked me, They're like, what side are you on? Now, I want you to think about that in a a real good Texas accent. What side are you on? I want you to help me out here. I want you to ask me that. So, what side side am I on? I can't believe you have to ask that since I'm a Texan. But I'm, I'm on the side of the Dallas Cowboys, guys. That is my side. A few reactions like that. Listen, if you're not on the side of the Dallas Cowboys with me, I still love you, unless you're a Philadelphia Eagle fan, and I'm sorry, I, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm still, God's working that out in me. All right, we're going to stop messing around with football, creating division in the church with things like football, but um, I actually was born with a uh, Dallas Cowboy pacifier in my mouth, so that's true. Um, all right, so I want to I speak to you tonight about humility, the high place of humility and joy as well. Um, you know, Paul wrote four epistles, four letters from prison. Um, he wrote Philippians, Colossians, uh, Philemon and Ephesians. And he wrote these from a prison, he, or from house arrest. He was probably chained to a Roman soldier, and he had these amazing revelations in prison. And I've done a couple of classes on these. But in Ephesians, he had this, this grand, this, this amazing, grand, incredible vision of divine community, of the church. He had a vision of a community that was seated in heavenly places, being built into a dwelling place for the Spirit of God. You see, that's what divine community is for me. It's coming together, just like we were doing earlier in this service, and we become this dwelling place for the presence of God, this place where He manifests Himself in such a powerful way. And the greatest encounters that I've had have never been when I'm alone. I've had some amazing encounters with God. But it's typically been when I was in the midst of God's people as we became that dwelling place and His Holy Spirit showed up. And this community that Paul saw in Ephesians would be so powerful that the very manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places through this community that we call the church. And we need to understand something, though, about the church during that time. This is somewhere around 58 AD, between 58 and 62 AD. And uh, there was a lot of pressure on the church. 
They were under persecution. Paul himself was in prison. The emperor at that time of Rome was Nero, and he was burning, he was burning Christians at the stake. So needless to say, the church was experiencing some extreme trials. They were being scattered at times. They didn't know who was going to be arrested next. One of their main leaders, the Apostle Paul, is, is in prison. He's writing these amazing letters. But they also had internal division. Often the letters that Paul would write, he was calling them to unity. And you know, one of the things that the apostolic is always concerned with is unity. And he would, he would call them to unity because there were these different di divisions that were happening inside the church. I mean, they had all kinds of disagreements. I mean, even the disciples had disagreements. I mean, come on, those guys argued over who was the greatest. Right? And you know, I, we find ourselves in an interesting time right now in society. There's a lot of fractures happening in our world right now. I don't know if you've noticed that. I don't know if you've noticed any tension happening in the world. But there's all these fractures. I mean, there's political fractures everywhere. There's mask, no mask. There's racial tensions, very, very real things. Um, you know, the list could go on and on. But there's all these fractures. But one of the things that concerns me right now is that many of these fractures are being mirrored in the church. Wow. Wow. Come on, Shane. It really concerns my heart. And I believe it really concerns the heart of God. These, these fractures, there's, there's division, there's accusation, there's a lot of anxiety. There's even hate, there's stress. There's fear. I tell you what, there's a lot of judgment going on right now. I hear it out there all the time. And I'm not, talking, I'm not just speaking in the context of our community, although I'm sure we have our share of it, but in the context of the church at large, there's all this strife going on and all this anxiety happening, and we're mirroring something. We actually look like the world with that stuff. And why is that? Why, do we, why are we reflecting that? It's because we're focusing on the earth. We've, we've got our gaze, we've got our attention on earthly things. And so because of that, we're reflecting what's happening in the earth. But God hasn't called us to reflect the divisions, the strife that's happening in society. He's called us to reflect heaven and to actually become a solution and to bring unity and peace and love and joy into the middle of a broken, hurting society. That's what we're called to do. And so we see this in Ephesians. We see Paul painting this picture of this powerful, powerful, heavenly-minded, seated in heavenly places church. And then if you go to Philippians, and that's where I'm going to really kind of land into tonight. When you go to the book of Philippians, um, I'm going to go to chapter 2 if you've got your Bibles with you. But I want to talk a little bit about Philippians. I want to talk a little bit about Philippi, which was the city that the book of Philippians was written to. And Philippi was in modern day um, Greece. It was a city that was known for its gold mines. It was really close to a port. 
And uh, one really significant thing about it is it was a Roman colony. And a Roman colony was not like we think of a colony. When you think of a, an outpost, it's kind of like a small outpost in the middle of nowhere. No, that's not what the, the Roman colony was. A Roman colony was designated as, a, as really a, a center. They, they put them at crossroads often, really important places. So you had this gold mine close to this port in Greece. And so it was a, it was a place where, where they wanted to basically plant like a mini Rome. And it was really an honor for a city to be designated this way. And it was really strategic. And so Philippi was one of these. Philippi was a Roman colony. And so it was a miniature version of Rome. And the Romans there would have taken great pride in their citizenship in Rome. The language there would have been, they would have spoken the language of Rome. Even though it was a Greek city, uh, society and structure, society structure, government, everything, the way that they did things, everything would look like Rome because they wanted to spread the power and the culture of Rome where in all these different places that they conquered. And the Romans, when they would settle in these cities, again, these were often conquered places because they were a war culture, they, they had no intention of assimilating into that culture. Their intention was to bring the culture of Rome there. They believed they had this superior culture and that it was all go, it was going to be settled there and they weren't going to assimilate at all. And Paul and Silas, you can read about it in the book of Acts, they were actually jailed the first time they went to Philippi because they began to share the gospel with people and they got really upset. They were like, what? These are not the customs of Rome. How can you bring this stuff to us? And they get put in jail in Philippi and you can, you can go back and read that story. But that's a story where, like at midnight, they're singing and they're worshiping in the jail, and an earthquake happens, but they don't leave. They stay there, and the jailer comes in, and he's really upset. He's about to kill himself because if he loses a prisoner, he's going to be tortured and killed. But they said, no, 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 wait. No, don't kill yourself. We're all here. We're still here. They share the gospel with him. He gets saved. His whole family gets saved, and thus the church, the Phil in, the church in Philippi is started with this Roman jailer. And so it's a miniature version of Rome. And so you had the Romans there. You had people who were Roman citizens, but you also had in these cities like this, you also had the disenfranchised. You had people who were not citizens of Rome in these cities. You had, they didn't have all the same rights. They didn't have all the same privileges. So if you could imagine in this city, you've got all kinds of people. You've got the Romans You've got Greeks. You've got probably people from all over the known world at that time coming through this city. You've got, you've got a people who were conquered by the Romans there that didn't share the same rights if they weren't citizens of Rome. And so you've got that there. You've got all this stuff happening here. And when Paul wrote in Philippians 3.20, he says something really powerful that probably most of you know. He said, but our citizenship is in heaven. In Philippians 3.20, and everyone in this city would have understood what he meant because this was a Roman colony. What he was really saying was, you, whether you're a Roman citizen, whether you're disenfranchised 
from that system, you, the church, the people of God, are a colony of heaven. You are to bring the culture of heaven to earth. You are to look like heaven in the midst of Philippi. And it was a radical statement for him to make to them, honestly. Again, the Romans took great pride in their citizenship. And he says, but you are a citizen of heaven. You are a colony of heaven. You are not to actually look like Rome. You actually don't represent Rome. This is really powerful. Your purpose is not Rome. But it's the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of heaven. This is who you represent. This is what you're to look like. The kingdom of heaven. You know... A lot of people are asking a lot of ministers right now, hey, why aren't you taking, I'll tread lightly here, but why aren't you taking a political stand? Let me just personalize it. People ask me, why don't you take a political stand? You're a minister, you've got influence, why don't you take a political stand? And here's my answer, because I don't represent Rome. Now, now I'm not judging if someone else feels called to do that, but I don't represent Rome. Rome, I don't, I, my, the kingdom that I serve won't fit inside a political party. All right? And let me just say this. Let me just make a big declaration if, if we all haven't figured this out yet. Political solutions don't fix spiritual problems. You can try all day long. The world's been around for a long time. It doesn't work. Spiritual solutions affect spiritual problems. Amen? And so I find my plate is pretty full representing the kingdom of heaven. I don't really want to represent Rome. I want to represent the kingdom because the kingdom is what changes the world. The kingdom is what changes people's lives. And politics aren't going to get us there, guys. So let's don't waste our time fighting over that. Let's don't waste our time focusing on that. That's going to take a lot of energy and a lot of distraction, and it's not going to get us anywhere. Yeah. Right. Amen? Yeah. We're to be radiators. Not just reflectors, but radiators of heaven. Radiating the kingdom of God out. All right. That's just a setup, guys, but I promise I can move pretty quickly. Philippians 1.27 says this. Let me just read it real quick. It says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. So Paul was praying here. He was encouraging here. And his prayer was that, that the Philippians, that the way that they live their life would match the value of the gospel. So when he, when he was saying that they were a citizen of heaven, a Roman colony, it wasn't just in theory. It wasn't, oh, wow, that's a great message, Paul. It was, I want you to represent heaven in a way that you're, with your life that is worthy of what Jesus did at the cross. 
And so he, he starts there, or he, he has that there in verse 27. I'm going to skip over to uh, Philippians 2.1. And he says this. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. And what he means in this passage is he's saying, he's basically saying it like this if you kind of dive deeper into it. But he's saying, if God's nature is working among you, and I know that it is, then I want you to do something. He goes on in verse 2. He says, complete my joy. By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. This is unity here, guys. This is unity in the context of a life worthy of the gospel. That's what he's calling them to. And you know, that doesn't mean we share the same opinion about everything. I mean, I love the Dallas Cowboys. It's obvious some of you in here don't. Really obvious. I heard you. We're going to, I'll see you in the parking lot, guys, after this is over. But listen, we're not going to agree on every, we're not going to agree on everything. We're going to have different opinions. We might even have different ideologies, whatever. Um, the thing is, those opinions need to take a back seat to the gospel, to this other kingdom that matters more than this one. And so those opinions got to take a back seat. But this is talking about unity here. And I want to say this. Unity is the pinnacle of transformative power operating in us. It's the highest level of power that could work inside of us is that we come to a place where we have the same mind, we are the, of the same love, and we are in full accord in our hearts with each other. Yeah. It doesn't mean, you know, I might like a different ice cream than you like. I might like, you know, God may work this way in me, works this way in you. But the reality is that transformative power, that unity shows our tr that transformative power. It's the hallmark of our Christian lives. And sometimes we hear unity, you know, it's like unity, whatever, you know, we are the world. No, I'm talking about we are the church. Some of you guys from the 80s remember that. That's, I'm talking about something supernatural. The citizens of heaven joined together in Christ, full of the Holy Spirit. This is so powerful who we are called to be. And unity is like a measuring stick on the church and on our lives. Wow. And it, it, it it's a measure of how deep has the love of God gone. Wow. Yeah. You know, we were experiencing, it was beautiful earlier. I was thinking, I don't, I don't want to get up at all. It's just so beautiful. The love of God was so beautiful. There were some moments just so beautiful. Still is. He's still here. But so beautiful. What's he doing? He's creating unity inside of us. He's transforming us. He's changing us. He's, he's bringing us together in a way that is so powerful. And that's a measuring stick. How deep has the love of God per permeated your heart? And unity is an indication of spiritual maturity. If you can't walk in unity, in healthy unity in the body of Christ 
You're immature. Sorry. You're a baby. How are those diapers, you know? Right? Because, listen, I think Renee just came, you know. I, I don't know what's happening here. I, I got I to gotta represent for Renee on that one. And, you know, I see a lot. I've, listen, I have been around for a while. I've, I've pastored a lot of different churches, been in a lot of different situations, different, different things, done lots of different ministry. And, you know, it, I, I find that oftentimes people will pick up their toys and go home when they get upset. They're, they're like, they're so quick to do it. It's like, what over that? I'm leaving. I'm leaving the church. I'm leaving the church. I'm going to pick up my toys and I'm out of here. And I'm like, what? What? And listen, let me say this. It doesn't mean God doesn't shift and move people. There's a healthy way to do that. He's done it with me. He's probably done it with you. There's a way that he does that that's healthy. Um, you know, we all are one big church and all that. But when you're in a community, listen, guys, the answer is not to pick up your toys and go home. It's to fight for unity. We got we to gotta fight for it. If you want to perpetually stay in diapers, pick up your toys and go home. <laughs> All right, I'm getting out of control up here. I'm, I'm feeling the new wine. It's, you know, people, listen, people say stuff, you know, when they're under the influence of the Holy Spirit. But listen, I don't want to be in diapers. I don't want to pick up, listen, we all... How many times have I had opportunity to pick up my toys and go home? So many times somebody offends me in some way. I mean, so many different ways this will happen. You know, maybe God even allows some of that to happen because he actually loves you so much and he wants to bring you into a place of maturity. So that person he put in your life that just is kind of messing you up all the time and getting you upset, maybe, just maybe, God wants to work inside of you and bring you to a place of learning how to walk in unity. Amen? All right. Can I keep going? So Philippians 2.3. Now it gets real. This is where it gets real. So he calls them to unity. So Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only for only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. So we see this. We're just kind of really getting in there now. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. What's conceit? It's, it's pride. It's thinking high, too highly of yourself. It's thinking too high of yourself in reference to others. Is how that would work. That's conceit if you're conceited. And he says, don't, conce don't be conceited. But he says... But in humility, actually count others as more significant or more important than yourself. Do you know how many problems in churches that would clear up right there? Yeah. Just that alone. If, if, if I, listen, if I could approach every conflict, if I could approach every meeting, if I could approach every coffee, that you know what, this person in front of me is actually more important than me. Could you imagine what we, the unity we would have and what we could accomplish? That they're actually more important. That, that's what we're being called to. 
And he says that we shouldn't, actually, we shouldn't just look out for our own interests, but the interest of others. So Paul, he had these high revelations, but he always brought it down to action. That's what I love about the way he wrote. Man, he would start off and it's like, boom, you know, seated in heavenly places. But then he would bring it down. You know what? Hey, guys, in, in light of that, you, you're, you need to live like this. You need to be like this. You, you've got to look out for the interest of others. So good. And then he tells us how humble we're going to have to get. Are you ready? And in telling us how humble we're going to have to get, he carves out a path for us into unity. If you want to know how we get to same mind, how we get to, to that one mind, same heart, all of that, he says in verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He called them to enter into the mind space of Christ, into the way that Christ thinks. He calls them here, have this mind. This is the mind that you're going to have. This is the one mind. It's not if you like this ice cream, I like that ice cream. No, this is the one mind. This is how you get there. This is how you get to unity. And this is how humble you're going to have to be. Have the same mind that Christ has. And he says in this passage, which is yours in Christ. We have been provided the mind of Christ. This is, this is intimacy. He allows us into his mind. He allows us to see things from his vantage point. He renews our thinking in such a way that we are transformed into a different person. And it's really, really powerful. And so he says, have this mind, enter into this space with Christ. And I want to challenge us to enter into this space in this season. You know, I believe that this last year was just full of opportunity to do this correctly. And it hasn't been done correctly a lot. But you know what? The season's not over yet. I think there's still a season here to say, you know what? I'm going to get my focus in Christ. I'm going to get my mind right in Him. And I'm going to get that focus right, and I'm going to go after Him. And so he says here, have this mind. And then he goes in verse 6. He says, who although he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. The form of God, Christ in the form of God, meaning he was God. Christ was in full possession of the divine nature. And it's hard for us to comprehend in human terms all that Christ possesses because we're dealing with a heavenly reality. We're dealing with glory unimaginable. I know we think we've experienced levels of glory, and we have, but there is so much more. We, there are things we haven't even thought of yet. Yeah, there are, there's a level of glory we haven't, we haven't even felt yet. There's probably levels that we could not feel on this side or our body would explode. Yeah. We couldn't handle that level of God. But, so we can't fully comprehend it, but, but he was in the form of God. You know, Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, I love that passage. When Isaiah in verse 1, he says, he saw the Lord high and exalted, that he was seated on a, on a throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. 
And if you keep going in that passage, when he saw this, he has this scene of where he's seeing God on his throne. He's, Isaiah cried out, woe is me. Woe is me. I'm ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Jesus was in the form of God. He's high. He's exalted in a way that we can't even fully imagine. He's in glory that we can't fully comprehend or understand. You know, we will spend all of eternity coming to a greater understanding of His glory. Every microsecond that we live in heaven, we are going to be coming into a greater unfolding of the glory of God. So he's in the form of God, yet it says he did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. He had equality with the Father and the Son. Co-possession in divine glory. But he was so humble that he did not count that equality a thing to be grasped. In other words, even though it was his, he was divine. He sets it here. And he doesn't try to reach for it. And it keeps on going. It says in verse 7, but he emptied himself. By what? Taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men. So he empties himself. And we, un we can understand that Jesus was fully God. He didn't divest his position, but he put his glory here. Um, the Greek word that's most used in the New Testament for empty means to deprive something of its proper place and use. So what Jesus did is he volunteered the exercise of his lordship. He deprived himself. And he came as a form of a servant. The king of glory, high and lifted up. The king of glory, that when Isaiah saw him, he was completely undone by what he saw. He couldn't handle it. He, he couldn't handle that level of glory in front of him. This king of glory came in the form of a servant. I'm starting to get wrecked. In the likeness of men, he brought his whole divine nature in human form. And he didn't come as a king, even though he was. He came as a servant. And he deprived himself the exercise of his own lordship as he walked this earth. And he walked it, yes, fully God, but fully human, like us. Just like us. Tempted like us, but never sinning. But the same temptations. Powerful. And it goes on in verse 8. And being found in human form, he did something else. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
I want us to think about something for a moment. He was immortal. Death and God don't go in the same sentence. He was the way, the truth, and the life. All life actually emanates from him. And you could even say that death is actually, in one sense, spiritual death would be the, the absence of God. That's what hell will be. It's the absence of God. I know we think about flames, but it's actually the absence of God. It's hell. And so Jesus, the one who was, he was immortal, he is the life. He, he had always existed. He had never experienced death. Death absolutely had no ability to even approach him. Unless he gave it consent. So when it says he humbled himself, I want us to think for a moment of just how much humility that is. His nature His divine nature is not just a fraction of humility. He literally, from this place of glory, from this high place, literally came all the way down, and he allowed death itself to touch him, to take him. And not just death, but death on the cross. A very humiliating way to die. A king clothed in glory, comes to this earth and gives death consent over him. That's the ultimate emptying of everything. One time, I don't know, when I was 25, I had a, I had a vision of the cross. And I don't talk about it that much because the intensity of it so undid me for like a year or two. It just, it undid me. But I began, I was, I was laying on the floor at the end of a service and everybody left. I was still laying on the floor. That happened a lot. And um, I began to get this vision of, of what was happening, happening at the cross. And it's kind of like I had a, I could see the whole thing that was happening. And it was dark, and it was black, and there was lightning. And, and God began to allow me to see Sin. And sin, what is sin? Sin could be defined as that which violates God's very nature. So Jesus is humbling himself to the point of death on the cross, and he's on the cross, and that which, that which is against his very nature, he, he allowed to come upon himself. Holiness and purity, and yet, He's allowing all the sin of the world, all the darkness, all the crime, all the brokenness, all the anger, all the things that are in the world, all the things that we have done. He's allowing that to be placed upon himself. In fact, the word says that he, became, he did not sin, but he became sin on our behalf. That's how low he went. That he was willing to take sin on for us, that he would become it. And so as we're in this season, as we're still in this season, and I can tell you there are glorious things ahead for the church, 
I don't know what happens in the world, but there are glorious things ahead for God's people. Glorious things. It doesn't, you know, even in hard times, the church can thrive. We've been called to thrive, even in the midst of difficulties. And, but we've been called into the same space with Jesus. We represent something so high and lifted up and so powerful that it can only be displayed through the nature of His humility. We are citizens of another kingdom. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. And we're not to look like this world. We're not to reflect this world. We're a colony of heaven. And the call of heaven is that we would come up into that high nature of God, that higher nature, that higher place by going low, by walking in humility. Amen? To be a colony that radiates heaven in our community. To be a colony that radiates heaven in wherever we are, whatever we're doing, we need to radiate heaven. We don't need to reflect the fractures of the world. And I'm almost done here. Can we get a worship? Some of you worship guys. Maybe a key, just a keyboard. But we've been called into humility. And we've been called into unity. And the unity that God wants is way beyond probably even what we're comfortable with. Probably even beyond our understanding. But it comes through humility. How much will I allow the nature of God's humility to work in my life? How much will I allow? You know, I don't... I want to say this. Some would say, well, God will... He'll get you, you know, he'll humble you. He's, he's going to humble you with, the cir- with circumstances, you know. But I don't think that's how we actually get humility. Now, that's an opportunity to kind of realize where we are. But we get humility by coming into his presence. We get humility by experiencing humility. We get humility by experiencing the presence of God. And as we experience the presence of God... That is what produces humility in us. So then we end up in situations that are difficult and we begin to walk in humility with one another. And I want to, why don't we stand? I just want to, I want to ask the Holy Spirit that we would have a revelation in this season that we are in of what unity means. And what humility means. How am I going to respond? How am I going to respond to God? To step into a greater level of humility. There's greater power than we've ever seen. But we need humility to handle it right. There's more. I believe we're going to see more miraculous power than we've ever seen before. As we move ahead. I believe we're going to see things that are going to astound us. We need more humility in our hearts. How we treat each other matters. You know, this is like a big, this is like a big school that we're in. And God's working. He's working His nature inside of us.
colony of heaven. What a call we have. And it's a call we collectively have. It's a call that we have together. And Jesus said it. He said, the greatest among you is the servant. It's, it's so upside down, right? To our natural way of thinking. The greatest is the servant of all. When they argued about who's the greatest, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the great. You, man, you don't get it. You don't know what happened the other day. You don't know the miracle that I saw. And they're arguing over and he says, listen, I'm telling you that the greatest in my kingdom, the greatest in my world is the servant of all. And the example that we've been given is what Christ did. There's no, we can't even, we can't even, we, the gap that he traversed for us, we can't traverse that level because we're not that high compared to him that we could come down. But God is calling us into humility. And I believe if we'll refocus and we'll turn our eyes away from participating in the fractures that are happening and we begin to turn heaven, he heavenward and we begin to allow humility to work and if someone offends me in some way I allow humility to work if I disagree with the way they did that I allow humility to work inside of me and I don't get worked up I don't enter into anxiety I don't enter into a place of stress I allow humility to begin to work in me and out of me and if we all collectively do that we're going to find ourselves in a unity that releases revival at a level that we've never seen before, but that God is calling us into. You see, we can talk about revival. You can even be in revival and not allow revival to fully touch your heart. But God wants to touch our nature with His. And we have his nature already. That's the thing. It already belongs to us, but there is the more. There's the stepping into it and really stepping into who we've already been made to be. You and I are already a new creation and we've already been redeemed. And God has given us his mind. It already belongs to us, but we can step at the same time. We can step more fully into it. So I want to ask you the question, will you step more fully into it? Because God's got a great purpose for his church. And he's got a great thing that he's doing in Austin. And let me just speak to Bethel Austin specifically. Guys, he's doing a great thing here. Listen, I've been here for about 15 years, Stacy and I have. And I can tell you God's doing a great thing through this church in Austin. God is doing something that has been prayed for by many people before Bethel Austin ever existed. And we're not the only church by any means, but there is a call on this church 
to, to turn heavenward. And I feel like if we just continue to do that and we'll do it at a greater level, there's so many people in so many churches that are going to pull, be pulled in that same direction. What a call we have to live a life worthy of what Jesus did for us. So I want to ask you, is there anything in your heart Are there any words over the last six months, seven months, eight months, whatever, as we've been in this particular season, are there any words, are there even any thoughts that you need to repent of? Is there anything that you've thought or said or judged or become anxious about or stressed about and you haven't, you haven't handled it from a place of humility, but you've handled it from, from a place of, of stress or anxiety or even maybe even pride. Sometimes I say things, you know, and I, the Holy Spirit catches me and stop, Shane, just don't, don't say it. Don't say that. Sometimes in the confidence, even with, let me just say this, even the confidence of our our marriage or our friendships, we, we sometimes, we vent our frustrations and I'm not saying there's not a place to share that, but oftentimes we're just, we're not, we're not turned heavenward. We're just trying to get it off our chest or whatever and that's, that never works. But God's calling us to repent. And listen, repent may mean for you that you're on the floor till tomorrow under the power of God, crying out. I've been, listen, I've been there. Or it might mean, you know what? When I leave this place, I'm, I'm going to leave different. I'm going to do some things different. I'm going to enter into the mind of Christ. I'm going to enter into the place of humility. You know, before I say anything, before I say anything about my frustrations, I'm going to enter into the, the mind of Christ. And I'm going to be unified. I'm going for a new level of unity. Let me just pray. <laughs> and right now, just do whatever you feel in your heart to do. You could come to the front. You can stay where you are. You can sit down. You can stand up. But I want to just take a few more minutes. And I know I'm a little bit over here. Just a few more minutes. And I want you to enter in a place between you and God. And some of you, God's already moving in. He's already, he's already even flashed some words that you've said or some, let me just say this, not just words, attitudes. So Lord, I pray we ask your Holy Spirit to come and dwell at greater, in a greater way among us, even right now. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're the one that convicts our hearts because you're calling us higher. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would bring your convicting power to our hearts right now. That you would show us where we need to repent. That you would show us where we need to change, where we need more transformation. 
Holy Spirit. Work in us. And I want you just with your own words, if you can, just begin to invite him to work in your heart. Just invite him with your own words. Just speak it out. Holy Spirit, I welcome you. I welcome you to come. I'm praying right now. I welcome you to come into my own heart. Just begin to release that. I welcome you. I welcome you to work inside of me. Let your nature begin to touch me. God, I ask that your divine nature, God, I pray that you would pull me, God, to a place of encounter with you that would change me forever. Let's just lift that up. I know we've, I know it's kind of the end here, but could we just take a minute and just lift up your words to him? Sometimes you just got to say it. Let me ask you this before I get off the stage. Are you looking for the in, out for the interest of others? Where are you in your quotient of self or others? Where am I? That's not to condemn. It's to say, okay, God, we want more. Amen? We want more of you. You know, you know what? the testimonies that encourage us most as leaders when we hear about somebody doing something in our community with something like generosity that we didn't we didn't do anything they're just doing it that is like powerful for us but God I pray God that your spirit would be released to work among us I pray tonight even as we sleep God that we have visions of heaven and we have revelation of who you are and I'm going to, these guys are just going to begin to play. And I'm going to step off. But do whatever you need to do right now. You get in the aisle, you can get at the front, but just get with God. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com.